Hello, dear listener, and welcome to Little Realms, a Dungeons & Dragons actual play podcast. I am your host and Game Master, Candice, and I am here today with... I'm Sarah, and I play Vin, the indebted Tiefling Warrior. I'm Dan, and I play Cyrus Sassafras, the Master Planner, also Druid. <laughs> I'm Nikki, playing Jarell Goldenheel, the Wide-Eyed Elven Scala. And I'm Adam, and I'm playing Arden, the unconcerned half-elven ranger. And they are uh, navigating the city of Mithrin, currently the Rorid estate, trying to uncover just literally all of the secrets. Just dig into those secrets. <laughs> just all of Yo. the fingers in the pies. All the time. And last time on Little Realms. After the commotion in the square, Vim and I followed Rowan to the military barracks to take another look at the files contained within the evidence locker. He's asked our group to assist the military with their investigation into the faceless. I'm skeptical of working with Rowan, but playing along is giving us tremendous access to the files. Arden and I peeled off to visit the Coriander's Kiss. Now I know what you're thinking, but the visit was for business, not pleasure. We tried speaking with Nikita, the proprietor of the establishment, to see if she would talk to us about the faceless, because her girlfriend is one of them. Despite pressing Nikita for information, we didn't get anything useful out of her. Uh, so Cyrus and I left the Coriander's Kiss to join back up with Jarell and Vim. Together, our group decided to cut to the chase and go directly to the blue-skinned tiefling himself for answers. That's right. Since the moment I arrived in Mithra, I've been avoiding everything I Well, I'm finally done dragging my heels on one thing, at least. We're gonna go see him. He's known as Witherheight, and these days, he goes by Indigo. You are all four of you, together, for once and for all, standing in front of the Rorit estate, which, from the outside just looks like a big white painted rectangle that is in fact three stories tall and there's a cute little walkway up to these uh large french doors oh uh, what do you want to do is there anyone outside like guards or anything nope i'm gonna go and knock on the door yeah okay all four of you go up knock on the door and there's a just a minute and a couple seconds later a face familiar to cyrus and vim opens the door oh vim cyrus i both did and did not expect you to see you again so soon and the person standing at the door is a tall kind of hunched over teal crested tiefling that has age lines around the edge of her mouth and eyes and she's wearing like very uh, very practical get up as she continues saying and you brought friends how delightful they all sort of waves like hi <laughs> <laughs> she waves back and like opens the door a little bit farther for you uh, and says well, come in come in 
Can uh, what? confirm? Is this the woman who uh, who we spoke to from the dancing mannequin? Yes. And hello, Miss Rose. We brought friends. This is Arden, and this is Jarrell. Jarrell is my bodyguard. <laughs> Please to meet you. Very nice to meet you. And she reaches out her hand to shake both of your hands and then is, you know, still holding the door open, one side of the French doors. Yeah, and Arden will let Vim and Cyrus lead the way since they already know the person that answered the door. As Vim sees this woman come into the doorframe, um, they make eye contact and will give her the same respectful um, bow of the head and lower her eyes for a moment before looking back up to Mother mm-hmm. Rose and say, Yes, time can be rather fleeting, and it seems not much has passed since the last time we saw each other. I appreciate that you kept my confidence. And she says that almost as a question as she walks into the house. She returns your respectful head bow and says, I do what is within my power to do. You walk into this building. The entire first floor has been converted into a very large, sprawling workshop space. There are looms and sewing machines and spinners wheels set up at regular intervals. Many of the stations are run by tiefling, but there are also a number of humans and half-elves, presumably other townsfolk, running the different stations. Above the first floor, you can see is a kind of walkway of the second floor that goes around the perimeter and has, you can see, doors around it at regular intervals. Um, And there are two staircases up to the second floor, one that's kind of like near the French doors, and then one on the far side of the room. And wafting down from an open door on the second room is the smell of fresh-baked cookies and other foodstuffs that smells very good, Cyrus. Looking around, you said it was a workshop and there's people building stuff. Does it look like they're building, like, set pieces since there's, like, that play coming up at the at the fair, or are they working on something completely different? Yeah, there's a couple people over in a corner working on uh, probably some set pieces, but most of them are working on... Uh, the sewing machines are putting together clothing of sorts. A lot of the looms are currently making what look like heavy blankets. And Vim knows this. The dancing mannequin used to be a one of the primary textile manufacturers. There's this wonderful aroma looming from upstairs. There's, oh, yes, that's because it is almost lunchtime. Ah. Uh, Did you get my joke? I said looming. Jokes are better when I explain them. See, there's lots of sewing going on down here and smells upstairs. It's quite clever. Oh, I'm so sorry. It sounded more ominous than clever. (laughs) What looms in the darkness? It's cookie smells! (laughs) (laughs) And she kind of waves the uh, joke that Candace missed away in the air and says, I have a hunch about what is bringing you around, but hunches are much better discussed over food, so why don't you join us for lunch? Hunches and lunches? Hunches and lunches. Ah, nicely done, Jarrell. <laughs> I think y'all should sew that on a doormat. <laughs> uh, perhaps a, a dining mat <laughs> for the table. 
Cyrus is just slapping his knees. Is that what someone looks up from their lube and goes, ha, and then goes back to their work? It's not trademarked. Go ahead and use it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. We're just trying to, you know, sow a little bit of goodwill or laughter. (laughs) She winks so hard it, like, hurts her eye. (laughs) You're going to leave us all in stitches. (laughs) Stop, stop, I'm going to wet myself. It's too good. <laughs> Mother, Mother Rose at this point has also broken down in uh, laughter. Oh, it's alright, it's not as though we're needling you. <laughs> How much, uh, what do you call it? Fame? Infamy? What's that cool thing you're supposed to get? Uh, inspiration. <laughs> infamy. Oh, infamy oh, points. How many inspiration points have you earned? <laughs> Infamously I'm going to bad spend a point of point. infamy too. You what? get a point of infamy, Cyrus. What do you get for infamy points? What do you? You just gonna <laughs> Will you maybe able to say something like? Oh, you might know me. I'm infamous around these parts. I'm the guy who, whatever you got the point of infamy for. Adding it to my equipment right now. Then have people recognize you as a, <laughs> as a, as a reverse authority on something. Oh. <laughs> a reverse authority on not being funny. All right. Uh, after everyone has finished the laughing uh, and the puns have run their course, oh, it's good to get that out of the way. <laughs> I appreciated that deeply. Uh, um, oh, where where were we? Oh, yes, lunch. Would you like to join me and myself and Rorit for lunch? Uh, Jarrell looks to Vim. <laughs> Will there be anyone else joining us? And Vim kind of like raises a loaded eyebrow. <laughs> oh, no. The workers have their own break room that they take lunch in. Mm. I see. Well, no matter. The day is young. Why don't Why don't we get lunch? That does sound nice. Excellent. It's been, it's been nearly a whole 45 minutes since the last time I ate something. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we did just go to the cafe, didn't we? And before that were, like, huge breakfasts. That someone took with them. Vim had hers to go. Like, all of us have pot bellies right now. Vim's had third breakfast and is ready for lunch. Mm -hmm. Alright, let's go. She, uh, leads you you over to the stairwell on the far side of the room, like, ringing a bell that's on that's on the way which apparently signals the rest of everyone to get up and go about their lunch break and she leads you on up the stairs and through one of the doors and inside this room is just a simple uh wooden table in the middle with six-ish chairs around it and on the back wall is a countertop space and on top of the cabinet space are a number of food 
dishes and then at one end there's a wash basin and some plates and cups for water and such and she says go ahead and help yourself world will be here in a moment and she doesn't wait either and starts piling a plate with food Arden will take some food just a little bit though not piling Vin begins to help herself seemingly the thought that food could betray her doesn't cross her mind clearly as she loads up her plate. <laughs> Mother Rose looks over and nods approvingly at you. I'll join the buffet line here, I guess. They probably weren't expecting us. I don't think it's likely to be poisoned. Arden doesn't voice this out loud, though. I'm more... Does it seem like... Is the amount of food like a normal amount of food for two people? I guess I'm surprised that they're prepared for seven guests. It looks... Each of the dishes that the food in is different. It looks like this is part of a larger potluck type thing. So it's like maybe for the entire household, but sort of people are separated. That's what you would gather. Well, I usually drink my breakfast, so I pull out (laughs) my uh, alchemy jug and I just pour myself a drink in one of their glasses. Glass of mayonnaise. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit of mayonnaise. (laughs) Oh, no, please no. It is wine. No, beer. I pour some beer and drink. So, Jarrell is sort of loading their plate with a polite amount of food. Not a lot. Um, And kind of glances between uh, Vim and Mother Rose. Are you professional associates then? Or... Oh, all tieflings are professional associates with one another, to some extent or another. Especially those who are associated with one of the caravans. You see, Mother Rose is a part of the very respectable dancing mannequin, and I am, of course, from the Mother Ella. And if it weren't for the mother elephant's good word of our textiles, I hazard a guess that we would not have had half the customers that we did before the war. You know, it is a shame that that relationship was strained by the war, of course. Of course, I don't think blame falls to anyone for that. The war has strained so much, but perhaps we can talk more about what the Mother Elephant can do to open up new trade routes for you. Perhaps expand your base of customers. I would very much appreciate that conversation and the proceeding arrangement from it. Perhaps that's something we can get into over lunch, or we can schedule a meeting at the time hate to um, <laughs> bore my friends with talking businesses as 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 much fun as it is to the two of us what do you mean they don't want to hear about gross income oh i get enough of that at home thank you <laughs> and, the, and the cost of wholesale fabrics and raw materials Oh, and not to mention the wear and tear upon blades and how often you're having to replace things such as wheels and livestock um, as you are, you know, making the journey from one place to another. It's it, all delightful. Jarrell, you had a question. I, I was think. just curious as to whether I would have, if I knew anything about either the mother elephant or... Um... Uh, roll history? Oh, I don't know shit. Um... 
Hang on. Uh, nine. I can say what, at the very base, Daryl might know about the mother elephant. Yeah, go for it. Because isn't Daryl's family, like, one of the biggest trading families in... Yes. Yeah, but Daryl is, like, very intensely not, like, part of the business, but their whole family is, like, runs, yeah, this, this trading, this, like, luxury trading business. So the thing you would probably know about the mother elephant is it is one of the largest tiefling caravans, which is probably the only reason why its name's kind of stuck around a bit, and they're kind of well known for being traders who always trade on the less traveled, more dangerous road. So they, they've probably like mucked up business that the Golden Trace Company had or <laughs> okay. Yeah. Or perhaps competed here and there for different bids, but they're so much smaller. Like, even though they're a huge caravan, they're a very small in comparison to Golden Trace. So it's probably yeah. more of like a fly in the ointment sort of okay. deal. <laughs> Got it. What you would have known about, in addition to this about the mother elephant, is that the primary rivals of the Golden Trace family, air quotes rivals, of course, the Valenti family often employs the mother elephant because the Valenti company really likes to investigate those less traveled, less traveled trade routes. We're a the Golden Heels are a little less wild and more cosmopolitan. Is that is that kind of what I'm hearing here? Yeah. <laughs> compared to compared to the Valenti family, yeah. Probably like more established as well. So it's all about like new business. Mm -hmm. I right. have something important. While the tieflings are doing their business talk, I turn to my forest dwelling friend, I say, Arden, you might not know this, being us both not fancy people, but um, see that spoon there? That's your oyster spoon, and that is your, uh, <laughs> that is your shark fork, that shark is fork. Your, your weaver knife, and they go in this order, and pinkies always need to be tucked in. Never put your pinky out when drinking. It's uh, fancy people we're dealing with. Arden takes the oyster spoon and eats something from his plate that is completely unsuited to use of a spoon. <laughs> you have like a noodle dish and you're yeah, yep. I pick mouth. up the oyster spoon and I eat myself some noodles. <laughs> you just stare at, at Cyrus while you're doing this, like. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Take the elf out of the forest, but not the forest out of the elf. Very uncouth, sir. <laughs> he just got called uncouth by Cyrus Azafras. By a country bumpkin. <laughs> At about the time him and Mother Rose finished their conversation, the door opens again, and the red dragonborn that you had seen briefly at, at Journey's End enters, and they say, Oh, I'm sorry, I am a little bit late. I'm glad that you started without me. I will just get my food and start here in a second. Are they just not phased at all by the fact that there's four other people in here? <laughs> it's almost like you were expecting us. And Vim chimes in with a, Yes, almost and cuts Mother Rose a disappointed look, but doesn't seem to phase her much more beyond that. I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. <laughs> Rorit looks up and says, Oh, I, uh, I just assumed you were Mother Rose's friends. 
Am I wrong? No, we are colleagues of a sort. We have a lot of visitors. It's not odd. I can imagine you are having a lot of visitors, especially with the festival coming up tomorrow. I hear that you are responsible for putting on something called the uh, Grand Play. And at this, Bim is like clearly pivoting her tone shifts and she's changing the subject into something more pleasant. Gorit's eyes light up and they say, yes, the play, it will be so grand. I'm very excited. Uh, what's it about? Oh, it is a riveting tale of, well, it's a little bit of a secret. It's always a secret before the day of the debut, but what I can tell you about it is that it is a story, classic story of trust and betrayal. Ah. And they grin, and you imagine that this is what, like, a normal dragonborn grin looks like, but it's, like, very toothy. (laughs) Well, I, um, you know what? I don't think I've ever heard a more relatable tagline for a play. Did you write it, or uh, just directing, or... uh... I did write it, actually. It's my first foray into playwriting. Oh, well, congratulations. Oh, thank you. If you can tell us without, you know, spoiling, we wouldn't want to ruin it, but uh, what what inspired uh, your, your your this first foray into the art? Well, you see, so yeah, at this point, they start piling their own plate with food, so they're kind of talking at the same time as going about this, and when they turn their back to you to get food, you see that on the back of the cream and gold robe-like garment they are wearing, there's a intricate embroidery pattern of a dragon head of some sort. Uh, Can everyone roll a religion or history check for me, please? Only a 10. A 12. 21. I got an 18. Okay. All of you know that the dragon head on the back of this robe is the most common likeness of the dragon god Bahamut. What Jarell and Vim both know is that Bahamut is a metallic, good aligned dragon deity, and Rorit is a red, one of the chromatic dragonborn. Uh, what, what does that mean? The significance of that being is that the chromatic and the metallic are like legendary frenemies like they're two sides of the same belief system but they are like opposed in like their beliefs their methods their methodology their morality things like that so let me get this straight so rora they are like physically resemble a dragonborn that would stereotypically be associated with evil but they're wearing insignia that would be stereotypically associated with good Correct. Okay, got it. If we were given to such overgeneralizations. Jarl <laughs> and Bim would both assume that there is more nuance than that, but neither of you are overly familiar with Dragonborn culture, so it's just like you assume that there's more, but you don't know what is off the top of your head. But I'm sorry, I said 21. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> they say, well, ever since, to answer your question, ever since coming here, I've just felt... Like I've had, honestly, I felt like I've had a new lease on life and have been able to, I guess, experiment? No, that's not really the white, the right word. Um, try a bunch of things that I didn't get to out on the plains or was barred from out on the plains. 
and it seemed like delving into the written word was a good way of exploring myself, exploring the world around me. Forgive me if that sounds little, I guess, uppity, but no, it's not the- at all. I think that sounds lovely. Are you perhaps drawing quite a bit from um, personal experience, maybe from, you know, the early days when you first arrived in this town, say, five years ago? I'm not sure what you're getting at, but I mean, I drew from many of my experiences. Of course, that's um, that's perfectly reasonable. I think five years is something that calls out to me personally i uh i can relate to your desire to try something new to get a new lease on life my apologies for overstepping for a moment oh there is no overstepping in this house we are here together to be companions also what are all of your names Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> How rude of us. <laughs> Mother oh, Rose, like, face palms into her crest, says, I just didn't want to interrupt such a riveting conversation about the nature of creative influences and all of that. Jarell offers a hand. Uh, I'm Jarell. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Rorit, it's nice to meet you. I believe I saw all of you at Journey's End. That is where we're staying. Oh, they have my favorite mixed drinks. Yelchin makes just the most wonderful martini. That man is a treasure, isn't he? He is. He's okay. (laughs) Rorit then holds out their hand to, uh, I guess, each of you in turn. Arden will shake their hand. Does Arden say his name? (laughs) No, he was just introduced, wasn't he? No, Jarell introduced himself and no one else. <laughs> Arden touches strangers. I imagine that Arden and Rorit shake hands for an uncomfortably long time. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, my friend is very uncouth. He doesn't know what an oyster spoon is. He doesn't know how to introduce himself. This A what? <laughs> I'm not sure I know what an oyster spoon is. Jarell kind of like, <laughs> kind of leans in his eminence like... Oyster spoons? Is, is that a caravan thing? Or... <laughs> oh, at this, Vim like gives this like scoffing look and is like, "You don't know how to eat with an oyster spoon or a beaver fork." <laughs> <laughs> Rorit and Arden separate hands, and Rorit looks over at Mother Rose, raises a scaly eyebrow, and Mother Rose just shrugs next to him. And then in the back, we see Vim, like, shooting Cyrus a, a smile. <laughs> Cyrus just nodding his head. Jarrell is, like, examining all the silverware on the table and sort of <laughs> comparing it now, like, what is all this? <laughs> these these all look like, like recognizable instruments to me, but... <laughs> oh, then Vim leans into Jarrell and says, uh, he really should travel more. You know very well this is the first time I've had an opportunity. <laughs> Jarrell looks a little hurt now, like, hey, I'm trying. (laughs) Maybe like, uh, shoots that, like, kind of shitting grin, like the, like, I'm pulling your leg look. Oh, you. (laughs) I kind of bop her shoulder with the, the, quote, oyster fork. (laughs) Cyrus grabs his frock and does a curtsy. I am Cyrus Sassafras. Rorit curtsies back at you and says, Rorit. And Bim? 
And yes, I am Vim. I am an envoy of the Mother Element. Oh! Rora claps their hands together. Because I've heard of your caravan. I am honestly a little bit honored and humbled to meet someone from the Mother Elephant. I never thought I'd get the chance. Admittedly, this is our inaugural visit into Mithran, but we saw fit to send someone out here to see what kind of business opportunities were available, and I am so lucky that I am the one whom this very important task fell to. I I hope that your endeavor is successful, and if there's anything that I can do to help, uh, you have but to let me know. And if it's within my power, I will help. Indeed, I think that the festival will be a wonderful showing of what Mithrin has to offer, you know, what it has to offer other cities, other parts of the world. Perhaps we discuss shipping out your manuscripts to other places, perhaps franchise your play. There, there are so many opportunities around. Rorith's eyes, like, light up and they grin again. Well, I I hope you think it's good enough to ship out. I mean, oh, that would be the dream, wouldn't it? Indeed. You know what? I hear many people are excited for it. Um, perhaps you have benefactors who will be in attendance. You know, <laughs> other folks who it would be good to speak with. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I honestly hadn't thought about it in a business sort of way, but yeah, everyone will be at the festival somewhere, some way, or another. Oh, man, that's uh, intimidating. I suppose with the festival happening all throughout town, it would be hard to avoid just about everyone. Well, I, you know, I don't want to avoid anyone, per se. Just the, I suppose it hadn't dawned on me exactly how many people will see the manuscript. Hmm. Here, here, don't don't worry about it. Have some chamomile tea before you perform. <laughs> That'll ease the nerves. I'm sure you'll digest fine. <laughs> oh, I am honestly going to have something much stronger than chamomile tea before it's performed. <laughs> Cyrus smiles and winks. Nicely done. Will you be on stage at all, or will it just be actors performing your words? Uh, it will be a bit of both. Um, you see, it's set up so that there is a, I believe the common literary term is a co chorus? Yes, but there, there's going to be a chorus that sort of narrates some things, um, but the chorus is me, while actors take charge of the stage and act out some parts completely, and then other parts they pantomime while um, I narrate and paraphrase. It sounds like a very ambitious endeavor. Uh, I look very much forward to seeing it. I, you know, me too. So, everyone yeah, at Arden. this point takes a very awkward, very large bite of their food and just like shoots <laughs> looks across. Arden the is table. actually Arden's ready to get on to business, so he kind of looks at Rorit and says, "Yes, um, of course. Well, this lunch is." Excellent. There was another reason why we came to visit today. Oh, and they look over at Mother Rose, and Mother Rose kind of sighs. <laughs> okay, go on. We were looking for some information about the Faceless. Certainly you heard about what happened in the main square this morning. We have. Yes, well, 
we have, or rather, I have reason to believe that this might be one of the better places to find that information. Mind you, it's just curiosity, and I imagine that there is literally, well, figuratively, almost nobody in town that wouldn't have the kind of information I'm looking for other than maybe the city guard. But, well, he just sort of looks at Rorit expectantly. What would you like to know? Um, I mean, I'll answer what I can. Obviously, we are outsiders. There isn't much that we do know about the group. However, from what I'd heard, murder isn't exactly in their repertoire, at least previously. Oh, that I believe you are correct in. Uh, Perhaps if I could uh, lend some framework to this, um, maybe, you know, we don't really have a very solid understanding of of the uh, political context here in town, and it does seem like maybe this is an escalation of an ongoing uh, conflict that's been going on for a while, and um, as as residents, um, we were wondering uh, what your uh, what your take uh, is on um, the whole thing and how we got to where we are. Well, Mother Rose begins speaking as someone who came to Mithrin uh, without much. The climate that we came to was particularly insular until we were reached out to by certain parties who could help us and get us going. Rord jumps in. Uh, what she means is when I came to this city shortly after they did, they nod over to Mother Rose. There was, oh, what would you call it? A void? No, not a, not a void. Um, an economic need for what the dancing mannequin once produced, and I had the means of helping them from other unfortunate circumstances which forced me out of the traditional dragonborn lands. And so we set up shop. And, I'm sorry, uh, how does this connect to, uh, sort of the history of the, of the faceless and the surrounding conflict in the area? Well... If you could forgive me, but if you could connect a few lines there, or, um... Well, let's just say that the Captain Mirne and his Lieutenant Rowan... Jarrell makes a face when they mention Rowan. <laughs> ...had absolutely no infrastructure, interest, or anything to any interest besides themselves and their people. So, when there is... About when was this? A a lack of a champion for the people, someone steps up. This... About how many years ago was this? Yes. Was this recently, or...? Oh, we we started our textile partnership, I guess about six, six and a half years ago, but it didn't take off until about five years ago. Textiles, that's all you guys are making here? It is. You get that they are telling the truth that textiles are what they are making. They don't seem to be hiding any part of their, like, physical industry from y'all. 
Yes, well, it takes a little bit more to get from making textiles being a champion for the people, obviously employing those who need work, to stringing up a blacksmith. Is quite a jump. That is correct. But Uh, a lot can happen over five years. And a lot has happened over five years. Um, If you will all actually excuse me for just a moment, I wish to go check on our uh, employees and make sure that they are still taking the break that they have earned. And she, you all notice now that she has actually finished her food, and she stands up from the table, puts her dishes in the wash wash basin, and walks out of the room. Did she seem upset at all? No, no, she didn't seem upset at all. Uh, It was just like a break in the conversation. And so she got up and left. So six, so wait, 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 wait. Let me think this out loud for a minute. So six years ago, they were saying like Myrne and and Rowan were like not amenable to sort of helping people out. Is that what she said? That's what she heavily implied. Okay. Well, it does seem rather odd as, as... And forgive me if I'm not fully understanding how how government operates um, here in, in Mithrin, but it does seem like the, you know, that sort of economic work would perhaps belong in other parts of the state. Um, the governor, perhaps, or, or the... Shit. What, what's the fantasy IRS called? <laughs> uh, the tax man. Tax collector. Yeah, the tax man. You know, more involved with taxation and things, which uh, I wouldn't necessarily expect the policing of the... Or or is this a more of a militarily organized sort of town? It's, it's that one. You see the tax collector and the military head are one in the same oh. in Mithrin. How very unusual. It is quite unusual, and it's also quite not good. It's more like a military occupation than a service of gods. Arden is going to sort of take a couple of steps towards the door and sort of glance out to see if he can see where Mother Rose went, see any workers and the like. Yeah, you you get up, open the door a little bit, and look out, and you can see over the there's a there's a guardrail obviously on this walkway on the second floor that you can look over into the first floor and Mother Rose is down there talking to a couple of tiefling workers. Uh, there's another group that's sitting off to the side eating some stuff. Uh, are the tiefling workers she's talking to are any of them blue skinned? <laughs> no, they're not. Oh, okay, Arden's just going to try to keep listening to the conversation, be part of the conversation in the room, but keep an eye out the door too, just in case, you know, the person that we're actually here to see makes an appearance. Okay. I, I take it then, based on the escalation, uh, what what sort of the, um, I don't, um, I don't suppose there's any recourse in, in going to the governor of the town? Like, um, I, I imagine, you know, that these things have been tried, but 
I take it that going to um, to the Arendales or, or Witherhike before him, that they weren't necessarily able to have a lot of influence, or perhaps weren't amenable? Well, we, Witherhite, rest his soul, was still alive when Mother Rose and I first began our business partnership, and we had gone to Witherhite on several occasions, and Witherhite had assured us that he was doing putting pressure on Myrne and doing what he could to try and get more for the little people, but he also confided with us that for the most part he was hitting a brick wall. And while some of the other aristocrats in Mithrin have physical force behind any of those words, Witherheit did not. And Myrne tended to only listen when he absolutely had to. Anyone else can jump in at any time. Was it it not possible then to just, instead of stringing up blacksmiths, to blackmail Myrne? Surely you must know something about him that could cause him in trouble. He's a military man. There has to be some sort of code of ethics he has to follow. If I or anyone knew something, that would be quite wonderful to hold over Myrne's head, but there's nothing in Mithrin for him to take it as a threat. To be able to enforce your rules, you have to be able to give consequences, and... Witherheight couldn't do that, and Victor Arendale, even though the coalition, he has their endorsement, he can't. So what about the new sergeant in town? uh, I don't know much about him. I think I saw him at Journey's End briefly, but I don't know anything about him. How about Lieutenant Rowan? Are they closely tied, or could you possibly stage a coup with Rowan. They, as far as I'm aware, they came to Mithrin together, and they will more than likely leave Mithrin together, whatever that happens. Yes, they do seem rather invested in the success of one another, or at the very least, Rowan and Myrne. Yes, that is what I have gathered from my time here as well. Drell kind of side-eyes them, and it's like, in a low voice, like, do you think they're, you know, and taps their fingers together. (laughs) Uh, Dim, like, draws a circle in her food, (laughs) and then, like, sticks the fork right in the middle of the circle. (laughs) Uh, It's at this point, Arden, uh, as you're keeping, like, one eye on the conversation and one eye on the downstairs, you see Mother Rose leave the two tieflings that she's talking to, and they go off, and she comes back up the stairs into the room and kind of, like, motions you back in, and she says, I am terribly sorry, but I need to borrow Rorit for a few minutes. Uh, continue to enjoy your food, and we will be right back. Uh, yes, uh, before you go, is there a washroom I could use? There is a wash basin in the room, and if you need to refresh the water, there should be fresh water coming out of the pump there. And she points to a corner of the room. Be in the corner. <laughs> ah, yes. Thank you. It's like a yield sink. 
I, I was assuming he needed to wash his hands or something, not... Well, yeah, if you're using a spoon to eat, uh, to eat pasta with. If you're, uh, needing to relieve yourself, that's down the hall. Thank you. I just wanted to... Right now, it is just my hands. I don't want to keep you. Okay. Oh, no worries at all. And they both exit the room and close the door after them. Okay, goodbye. As soon as they fucking close that door, I just run over to them. Why are we being coy? Shouldn't we just ask where Indigo is? I am worried that they are going to speak with Indigo right now. Why don't we all just go and follow after them? Or wait, Jarrell, do you have any spells that turn people invisible or, or make us all look like, I don't know, little mice running down the hallway? Or actually, you know what? I might be able to pretend to be one of the tieflings who work here and just go down the hall after them. I'm afraid transformation and, and transfiguration of those kinds aren't really my thing. I can transform myself temporarily, but, um... Hmm. Going unseen is a talent that I have. <gasps> oh. One of you opened the door. Is it, Arden? Is it now? Is this something you can do for all of us? It's no. And being quiet, unfortunately, is not in my skill set, so hopefully there isn't anything to clamor about too much. He did ask about the washroom, so if they come back ahead of time and he can't make it back, we can just say he went. Go, Arden, go! <laughs> Cyrus runs to the door. One of the others of you will need to find a reason to open the door and leave the room, otherwise it will be a fairly obvious why. Sure, 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 sure. Let me know when you're ready. <laughs> Arden just yes. kind of, like, taps his sword well, taps it twice while muttering something, and ooh, invisible. is quite a tricky bit of magic. Um, Jarrell uh, opens the door and steps out and goes down to where they said the bathroom was and leaves the door ajar as they go. So, Jarrell, you go to open the door and it's locked. Oh, what my. You all look down at the like the floor right in front of the door mm -hmm. and there is a small note or a small envelope with a wax seal on the front. If that's like, I'm pumping poison gas in there. Okay, I I pick up the note Come and on, open Jarell, it. open the door. It's locked. Oh. I think they're onto us. Well, I don't really know what we're doing. They're it's, suspicious of us in any probably case. probably the oyster spoon. God damn it, Arden. Wait, is, is Arden still invisible? <laughs> Arden's still invisible. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why not be invisible? Then looking looks... over... Jarrell's shoulder, you see that the wax seal has the, the same infuriating horn smiley face as the note that you found. Yeah, you and see them over the shoulder of Jarrell is just looking at it like, that motherfucker, he is a shitbag. I was right this whole time. And she, like, takes a few steps back and is like, alright, what does it say? Alright, so I, I open the note and it says, Make your way to my study on the third floor, and I will speak to you there. Oh, well, that's promising, isn't it? Well, other than that he locked the door on us. Well, yes, but it's better than, you know, murdering us out of the hand or something. <laughs> uh, as I am coming to learn, this is kind of, um, 
indigo thing they like to break into your home, lock you into a room you don't want to be locked into, and they leave you a, a smarmy little nut. Wait, I, I thought you hadn't encountered this man before. Uh, uh, at this, Bim uh, looks over at Cyrus, and she sighs again and says, uh, the, um, So last night, when me and Cyrus went to go and find out where Indigo was, or, you know, at the time, we just thought it was Weatherheight, or rather, we, we were calling them the Blue Skin Tiefling. Anyways, the reason why we went is because Indigo broke into my home and left a note. Into your Vardo? Yes, they, they, they broke into my home. They stood where I live. They probably touched my things and they left a crummy little note with a crummy little drawing and a awful little wax seal on it. And and it was all like, oh, I'll see you at the festival, la-di-da. And I just, I, I am, it just, it, it's just, hmm. And Vivian well, kind of starts like stumbling over the uh, over herself a Arden lot. Just it. kind of, I mean, he looks over. Not that anyone can see it, but he'll say, "Well, they broke into your door. You're strong, aren't you? How about you break us out of this part of theirs?" Vim flashes like her sharp pearly whites at wherever the fucking sound came from, and without like skipping another fucking beat, she just like wails at wherever the um, the lock. Is if, or like the handle, like whatever. The handle, yeah. You could smash out the handle. Yeah, she just um, fucking is like, yes, that was the permission she needed to wail on this door. <laughs> Roll and attack. Roll. Ooh, fuck me. 20. Yes. Like 25. a natural 20. Yes, it is a 20 plus 5 <laughs> is 25 on smash the handle off of this door. Cool, how do you destroy the door? So her hammer, uh, she, she we see her pull it out and she actually does like a bit of a flourish with it. And then she she steps forward and just like grabs it. It's, it's a one-handed weapon, uh, but she swings it over her head, grabs it in both and just brings it fucking down on, like, this beautiful, ornate, I'm sure it's, like, brass and has filigree on it, and it, it just... It looks fucking, really old, too. It shatters. It just, it shatters <laughs> on impact. It's all over the ground, like, we hear, like, the kutunk of the other side of it also falling <laughs> to the ground, and then Finn just, like, kicks it to the side. <laughs> the door, you kick it savagely, the door swings open and bangs on the wall behind it. Oh my. <laughs> Jarrell sort of gingerly, like, pats Vim on the arm. Well, I, I hope you feel better now. <laughs> that was very well done. <laughs> if anyone asked, Cyrus really needed to go. Badly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so now that the door is open, you all file out onto the landing. Are there a bunch of tieflings, like, staring at us from downstairs? You look downstairs, Jarell, and it is empty. Well, that's ominous. All of the looms are silent, sewing machines have stopped their work, and you don't hear any voices trickling up from downstairs at all. Now, we're on the third floor, or second floor, right? Second floor, correct. The staircase to the third floor, presumably, the staircase up is is actually pretty close to you. It's on top of, or it's like a continuation 
of the staircase from the first floor to the second floor uh, that was on the far side of the room. So there's only one staircase up to the third floor. Tentatively head in that direction. Alright. He did say to meet him on the top floor. Arden's obviously going to keep an eye out behind us since he is still invisible, theoretically. Anyone sneaking up will sneak up a little bit too close if he holds back a little bit. So he wants to, he's going to keep the others in his sight, but he's also going to make sure to like stay back far enough that anyone who is just like following along far enough back to not be seen by everybody will be seen by him. Okay. You know, Arden, Vim just kind of like speaks out into the nothingness, (laughs) just kind of picking a direction. You know, Arden, um, your skills, this invisibility is rather impressive. You would be quite the asset to the neighborhood watch. Just, just a, just a thought, just throwing it out there. There is no response. (laughs) You make it to the uh, second staircase without incident. It's one of the types of staircases that has a, like a metal framework, but the actual slats of the stairs are wood. And peering up the staircase, it's like a, a single, it's not like a spiral staircase and it's not like it goes- Like a straight stair. It's a straight shot. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't like stack on top of itself to get to the third floor. You can just see it goes up. Bim uses the stairs? <laughs> With confidence. Okay. She's feeling she's got that adrenaline pumping through her body from shattering doorknob. She's feeling okay. pretty good. What order are you all walking up the stairs? Bim is first. I'll follow Bim. Yeah. I'm not yeah. Bodyguards behind me. Sure. And so Arden is bringing up the rear, but he's not actually going to step onto the stairs until he sees everybody, like, <laughs> safely to the top. Okay, so Vim, the walk confidently up the stairs, and you get almost to the top when the step that you have just put all of your weight on flattens at an angle into the step above and below it, and... Make a dexterity saving throw, please. Ah, wouldn't you know Vim is really good at these. Oh wait, it's a nine. (laughs) (laughs) So, Vim loses her footing as the staircase flattens in on itself at an angle, of course. Cyrus and Jarrell, I would also like you to make dexterity saving throws. Thirteen. Oh, I got a twelve. So, in a domino-like effect, Vim (laughs) loses her footing, crashes into Cyrus, who loses his footing, and Jarrell loses their footing upon being impacted by the combined weight of Vim and Cyrus, and all three of you go sliding down these flattened stairs towards Arden, who... Go ahead and make a dexterity saving throw also, Arden. Okay. Let's see if I can do better than these guys. I did. Who hopefully sees it coming... Yeah, I got a 20 overall. (laughs) Okay. You do, in fact, see this coming, Arden, and you step out of the way. Not that any of your companions can tell, uh, (laughs) as... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they comically slide butt to face back down onto the second floor landing in front of you. And then 
with perfect comedic timing, the staircase flips back into normal staircase form. Hmm. You think it's just the one stair? Well, it was just the one stair that got me. I um, I mean, I'll try it again, maybe. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Okay. Um, I go ahead and cast Unseen Servant. Okay. And have it go ahead and... Do I have some way of sensing where it is, basically? Yeah, you can tell where it is. Okay. I send it walking up the stairs. Okay. It walks up the stairs, the same staircase, the, or the same stair that flattened for Vim, flattens for your servant. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone roll a perception check real quick. Uh, 14. 20. I rolled a 1. I'm just, like, trying to figure out, can the Unseen Servant see Arden? Are they friends now? Uh, 15. Jarrell and Vim, you can hear this time the whirring of a machine box at the top of the stairs that you would intuit controls the flattening of the staircase. Is my Unseen Servant still intact? Yeah, it's still intact. I send it up again, but have it skip that stair. Okay. And just to see if there's anything past that. It flattens again. Hmm. And your servant comes sliding back down. Vim, you got a 20, right? Yes. Your perception? Okay. Uh, you also are further able to see, as Jarell is experimenting with the staircase, that the gearbox up at the top of the stairs looks like it has... You kind of have to squint to see it, but it definitely has a keyhole. Vim, like, looks at, she squints at the keyhole, and then she, like, looks at her hammer, and then she squints at the keyhole again, and then she, like, puts out one of her hands, kind of like she's about to throw a javelin. <laughs> okay. Jarrell looks around the show like, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, um, alright, okay, so, it's, so I guess it's not quite as simple as skipping one step. Uh, is Arden, you, you have a bow. There's a, um, there's like a mechanical keyhole of some sort at the top of the stairs. Maybe if we shoot it or wreck it or, or something, maybe the stairs will stop their, their trickery. Yes, well, I have a bow. It's not my habit to wander around town carrying it. So I have a bow, but unless we want to trek back to the inn, I don't think it will be helping us much. Um, do we see... There's, there's You said there's a, like a gearbox... Can you explain a little more clearly where that is? It's like- at the very top of the stairs, kind of on the on the left-hand side, like at the top of the railing. Okay. With the way those stairs are set up, is it possible to stand under the stairs? Or is there like a closet under the stairs or something like that? Or is it kind of like solid? It is possible to stand under the stairs. Can I go under the stairs and sort of look up at whatever mechanism must be on sort of the underside of these stairs to make them flatten? You walk under the stairs and there's nothing obvious under the stairs. The gearbox that you saw from the top of the stairs seems to be solid on the underside of it. Uh, What you do notice is that inside the metal casings that hold the stair slats are unusually thick and that's where you assume the mechanism is inside of like it's inside of uh the gearbox is inside of a metal box and the mechanism that actually controls it is inside of the metal casing of the stairs if i send the unseen servant up so that it's on the stair under the trick stair can it reach the box it cannot 
I'm not a mechanical person, but my, my alchemy jug, I can make acid in addition to making beer. Will acid help us disable this contraption? Perhaps. I don't know if we can find a way to get it up there. Um, I'm afraid my, my unseen servant can't seem to find a way. Can I, I send it up again and have it try to jump over the trick stair as far onto the landing as possible? Yeah, uh, roll a athletics check for it. Uh, nat 20. Uh, it makes it to the third floor landing. Uh, how far did it have to get onto the, uh, to the landing to... It skipped the top five steps. Hmm. Um, is there a railing? There is a railing. Can I have it, like... <laughs> I, I have it, like, climb onto the railing and sort of slide down and see if that triggers it. It does not. We might be able to just sort of shimmy up the railing. Well, here, one moment. I'm going to go up, just sort of walk up, but I'm going to hold onto the railing to keep myself steady when the thing flattens. That way I'm sort of shimmying up a ramp while holding onto a railing. Okay. Let us know what's happening. You don't see anything. What's happening? So, you don't see anything. But you kind of, you hear soft footsteps, and then you see the stairway flatten, and Arden roll a dexterity saving throw, but at advantage. Okay, do not fail me. Okay, the second one is another 20 overall. Okay, so you manage to not fall down the stairs. The effect doesn't seem to affect the surface of the stairs at all. So once you've like re-got your footing, you can kind of shimmy up to the third floor landing. And as soon as you're there, the stairs revert. Okay. I'm going to take a look at this gearbox now that I'm up here. Uh, roll investigation. Uh, oh yeah, double uh. Um, I investigate with a grand, amazing total of two. It's a very solid box of metal with a keyhole in it. Did you did you make it up? Are you there? Yes, you you should be able to as long as you hold on to the railing and you know you can keep your footing reasonably well. Have you considered smashing the the gearbox? You know, breaking their toys. Uh, it looks pretty solid. Sounds like he can't do it. Arden, roll an insight check real quick, also. Ooh, uh, 13. Okay, uh, you would imagine that if a gearbox with a keyhole in it is so out in the open, the key or a key ring that the key to it is on should probably be readily accessible somewhere since it doesn't look like this staircase, like this looks like how it's made. Like this is a staircase that flattens itself by default. Sort of a weird feature to have in your house. <laughs> is there a keyring hanging up like anywhere within my sight? It's not within your sight, but you were in a rather communal looking room down on the second floor. Arden will call down to them and say, well, it has a keyhole, so you could try sort of getting up here, though if you could maybe go back where we were and perhaps there's a key there. Uh, what do you think it should look like? Some material or... A key. All right, Arden, I'll go back and find a key. Cyrus goes back into the tea room. Okay, uh, roll an investigation for me my infamy. I got 18. Okay. Wait, what? That's not how inspiration works. 
his infamy point he got earlier. <laughs> you very quickly and efficiently, as if you have done this before, turn the room upside down and you end up with a keyring that uh, was hanging on the inside wall of one of the cabinets. And on this keyring is a gold key, a silver key, a copper key, and then a, you would assume it's a key, that is a green square and a purple triangle and a red circle. Oh my god, we're playing Resident Evil. Watch <laughs> out for zombies, everyone. Cyrus grabs all the keys, and on his way out, he smashes the one teacup that he did not break during his, uh, his circling. <laughs> Throw it on the ground, and then I come out. I finally found it! Arden, I don't know where you are, but catch! I just chuck it up the stairs. <laughs> Roll a dexterity? I'm gonna throw it with disadvantage, since I don't know what I'm throwing at. Sure. Twice. Don't jinx it. Hey, hey, that's the lower one is 17, so I got 19 total on Dexy. So, the key ring very nearly hits you straight in the face, Arden, but you're able to catch it very easily. And from the bottom of the stairs, you see this key ring floating. I test him out. Okay. Uh, it is obviously not any of the uh, geometric shapes, and of the like metallic keys, the silver key fits into the keyhole. I will turn it. You turn it, and you hear the mechanism inside deactivate. All right, um, one of you, come up. Drill sends the unseen servant up. The servant makes it up just fine. The stairs do not collapse on it. Drill is confident in their magic and goes ahead and runs up after it then. Okay. turns the key back. You little shit. As Jarell is running up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jarell, please make a dexterity save throw. Piece of shit. Uh, 19. Jarrell hits the fifth stair, watches Arden turn the key in slow motion, and in a spite-fueled jump, leaps the last five stairs of the Oh my staircase. god. It's the most athletic thing Jarrell has probably ever done in their life. <laughs> and lands at the top of the landing as the staircase flattens behind them. And then stares bewildered around them as they realize that they have made the jump. <laughs> Arden will turn it back <laughs> and step away from it. Jarell whaps him on the shoulder. <laughs> Not that Jarell can see you. Oh. Exactly. That's why he whaps he whaps nothing on the shoulder since I turn it back and step away. They... That was really uncalled for, Arden. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, it would have been more amusing if it were Cyrus. I'm coming up. Don't turn the key. I might break my back. Jarrell sticks their hand, like, on the key <laughs> to, like, hold it in place. <laughs> Scowling around at the air. <sighs> Cyrus nervously walks up. Cyrus makes it up. You're doing great, Cyrus. And then Vim follows. Cyrus stares at the wall where he thinks Arden might be and just nods in approval. 
is well done. <laughs> so you all make it onto the third floor. The third floor landing uh, looks like a a normal floor. It doesn't like look down onto the previous two floors. So there's two doors to your left, a door in front of you, and then two doors to your right as you're looking down the hall from this landing. The two on your left are red and green. The one in front of you is purple, and to the right are gold and white. So Vin will, as they get up to the top floor and see all these doors, uh, we'll see her lift her hand and it glows for just a moment, and so she'll use Thaumaturgy on the off chance that any of these doors are open. And if they are, they swing open, and if they're not, <laughs> nothing happens. They unfortunately do not swing open. Ah, uh, well, they're all locked, so... Well, we have a key ring that conveniently has items on it that correspond fairly easily to each of them. Well, where do you want to start? Yeah. There's going to be traps in every room, aren't there? <laughs> <laughs> oh, would we be able to give the key ring to your unseen friend? Uh, not Arden, the other one. <laughs> and, and have them open the doors on the off chance, uh, I don't know, they're, they're trapped in some way? Um, yeah, I mean, do I still have my... I don't remember how long this lasts. I think it lasts an hour. Oh, okay. Per level. We go ahead and give the keys to the unseen servant, and I guess just start all the way at the left, maybe. Okay. The the red door that's closest to you? Sure. Okay. Uh, what do you tell the unseen servant to do? I instruct it to slot the red shape into that slot. You see the shape get, like, halfway into the slot and then stop moving. Interesting. Um, I have it put the- what color are they? Like, red, green, and purple or something? There's a, a red circle, a purple triangle, and a green square. I step over there cautiously and sort of peer at the slot. Like, can I see any sort of- any sort of hint of its shape from out here? Uh, roll an investigation for me. Uh, 19. 19. Okay. So you are, Jarell, examining this keyhole very minutely. And as you're examining the keyhole, and the slot itself looks uh, like a standard size that could fit any of the geometric shapes, but as you're looking at it really closely, the red color of the door disappears, and behind it is purple, the color purple. So it, like, flickers? Yeah, it like flickers, and you are able to tell that the red color on top of it is an illusion. Ah, I have it put the purple one in. I, I step away again and have it put in the purple shape. The purple triangle slots all the way into the door, and you hear a click, and the door swings inwards. And three goblins rush out and attack your unseen servant. <laughs> no. Uh, so as you're standing there looking in, the inside of this room is empty except for a substantial writing desk inside of it. And on top of this desk is a small bound book. I glance back at the rest of the group. Um, there's no one in here. There's just a, a desk with a book on it. Well... 
books are your specialty. Well, I was, well, I don't want to just snoop through other people's, well, I kind of do, but do you think we should check every door first and, and just see if we find for it, or? Grab the book. I have the Unseen Servant bring me the book. Okay. The Unseen Servant brings you the book, and you do you flip through it? Uh, I examine it first. What, okay. what am I looking at here? So you're looking at just a very simple, it's not even a leather bound book. It's just bound with a, a thick piece of parchment on either side and then sewn bound. Just very simple. It's not even super thick. It's like maybe half an inch thick. I, this is actually important-ish. Can I use detect magic, my detect magic ability, without becoming visible? Yes. I'm going to do that. Okay, all three of the colored doors light up illusion magic. Okay. And then the book lights up conjuration magic. You may not want to open that. Uh, care to elaborate? Well, it's got some sort of uh, conjuration enchantment on it. I assume it would, based on what the stairs did, take you somewhere that's more difficult to get back here from. I I set the book down such that, on, on the floor, such that if the door were to swing shut, it would close on the book. Just so I can come back to it later if I want to. Okay. And you just leave it there? Yeah. Okay. What do you want to do next? Go to the next door. Okay. The the air quotes green door. Just on a hunch, I I have the unseen servant put the red one in. The red one. The red one slots in, tumbles down. You hear a mechanism click, and the door swings open. I peer inside. <laughs> okay. In this room, yes, there is nothing inside of this room except for a small piece of paper on the floor roughly in the center. Okay. I send the Unseen Servant to go pick that up and just hold it up so I can look at it. All right. The Unseen Servant turns it and holds it up. The piece of paper has a, a bit of writing on it and then a like a, an answer line, like a write-in-your-answer line. It looks like some sort of riddle. Poor people have it. Rich people need it. If you eat it, you die. What is it? Well, I'd assume nothing. Nothing. You two are good, I do. I, I'm still trying to cipher. <laughs> Let's go with your answers. Do you think we're supposed to write it in? And Well, you're pretty dumb for a smart person. Uh, is there any magic on this one, Arden? Is there? Yeah, there is. Um, and it's the same conjuration magic, um, which I might be saying the wrong school, but you basically get the sense that uh, when you write in the answer, it will cause something else to happen. Yes. Well... I suppose. Go for it. What? I'm not going to. I mean, I have no problem writing it. Me either. Come on. you get, We know the answer. We just don't know what will happen if we write it in. Jarell, uh sort of pulls a pen out of their pocket and, and very uh, hesitantly writes nothing in this space. Cool. So you write nothing in that space, and at first it doesn't seem like anything has happened, but when you look over your shoulder, you see that a Roman numeral 3 has appeared over the white door. 
that would be like kitty corner from you at this point. Do you think we're supposed to open every single one of these doors and collect clues of some sort or or take a more direct route? I'm honestly not sure. I vote the direct route if you know one. I think either way, Indigo, you said his name was, expects us to find him. Yes. I Jarrell goes and picks up the book again and opens it. Okay. You open the book and the first page of the book reads, If you have me, you want to share me. If you share me, you haven't got me. What am I? I must admit, solving riddles isn't quite my specialty. A secret, perhaps? Huh. That sounds correct. Logical to me. I write it in the book. (laughs) Your friend is very tiresome, Vim. (laughs) (laughs) So you write secret into the blank, and words appear below the answer blank. And they say... Does it say, Jared? It says, you want access to my study. An adventurer makes it this far and I say 12, to which they respond 6, and I let them in. Another walks up and I say 6, they answer 3, and I let them in. To you I say 10, which door is it? 5, even I knew that one, <laughs> I would think so, so... Uh, I suppose we have to summon the numbers for these other doors. Wait, was I not right? Well, yes, but we don't know which door is number five. And number three appeared on this door here. So... You have one more door. The purple door at the end of the hall. I I stick the green token in there. Cool. Although, uh, at this point, I would think it's the, uh, the gold door, perhaps? It would the... seem a bit obvious to make your office behind a gaudy gold door. That does <laughs> rather seem to be his style, doesn't it? <laughs> I rather wonder that he has five studies and uses one of them. I wonder if these are like four other people's offices that he's cleared out for this little game. Uh, you slot the green token into the purple door and it falls, the mechanism clicks, the door swings open. Uh, this room has a, a desk in it and on that table is a slip of paper and on it, it has the riddle What belongs to you, but other people use it more than you do? Oh, I think I know this one. Your name? Jarrell writes that down. Right in name and out in the hallway, you all see the number five appear above the gold door. Surprise, surprise. I solved it. Oh, Bim, like, fist on the table and makes I like, ah, yes, can't stop. She's (laughs) just very excited she got any of the riddles. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> also of note, Arden, behind the gold, behind both the gold and the white doors, your detect magic pinged conjuration. Oh, more conjuration. More conjuration. Well, since it turns out that it is the gaudy gold door, Cyrus, you haven't opened anything yet. Give me those keys. Drill hands over the keys. Which one do I need to put in here? I just start fumbling through. I'm trying to shove them all in. Oh, I would try the gold one, I guess. I try the gold key. Okay, you put the gold one in the keyhole. It fits. You're able to turn it. I just open the door. Knock, knock. Here we come. You open the door. It swings inwards. And inside of this room, like what you can see through the open door, is just dark. 
like there's room, there's light from the hallway spilling into it, but it's like you are, the hallway light is on and you're walking into your dark bedroom or whatever, so you can see like the triangle of light in front of you, and that's about it. Does anybody have a torch or a candle? Um, I... D- uh, 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 I'll, I'll say I'm still holding the book. I go ahead and cast light on the book and hold it up. Okay. Uh, the room beyond looks just like a, a bare 10 foot by 10 foot wooden room. Hmm. Anyone here? We solved your puzzle. No response. I knock on the door frame <laughs> just in case. Nothing. In this room, is there any other exits to it? Nope. I have an idea. Cyrus. Mm-hmm pulls out his alchemy jug. Okay. Arden, you've inspired this. Your invisible form. Maybe there's an invisible person in here. And I grab the alchemy jug and I just start splashing water across the room. You have splashed water all over the floor. Well, that was my idea. I rather like that. I don't think there's any invisible people here. And I just start walking inside, start touching the walls with my hands. Cyrus, you step over the threshold, and when both of your feet cross the threshold, you poof! Cyrus disappears from standing in front of you three. It was a good run, guys. You think it's some sort of portal or transportation thing? Arden, you seem pretty sensitive to this. Do you have any sense of what's going on here? It is in line with the kind of magic this room is enchanted with. Honestly, if Cyrus is there, then I am too. And then Vim <laughs> walks across the threshold. <laughs> Alright, let's go. <laughs> Vim poofs. Jarrell poofs. Arden, yeah, Arden will follow them in. Okay. He's probably not going to walk into the wrong door. <laughs> you all find yourself standing in front of the front door to the Rorid Estate. What an obnoxious prick. Well, shit. <laughs> this is not what I was hoping for. God damn it. And then we just see Vim just like shout, Indigo, where are you? <laughs> Come out. <laughs> the front door swings open again. Who's there? No one's there. No one's behind the door. It just opens. Now that we have diplomatic immunity, should we just burn this mother down? What? No. <laughs> there are people work here. They have an in this... Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> and plus, we're here for information. Burning the place and anybody left inside of it down will not get us the information we need. I was kidding. It would make us arsonists, but it won't get us the information we need. Arden's going to go back in. <laughs> okay. You go back in unimpeded. The complex is still empty, as far as you can tell. Everyone roll an insight again. 16. 22. 16. Ben gets a 7. Jarrell has the distinct feeling that they all might have looked at the final riddle, the air quotes final riddle, incorrectly. The number one. <laughs> Maybe the we had the number of the door wrong. Well, there's, there's one door left. Maybe we should just try it. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe we were supposed to speak the number aloud for walking in. 
Well, this is a shitty math riddle. I think we should just try the other door and see what happens. This time, before we all walk through it, if you end up in front of the house again, just come back up. Alright. So, who steps through uh, door number three first? I'll do it. Drell knocks and then opens the door. <laughs> you do also have to use the gold key again. Okay. Uh, you open up, the door swings open. It's the same nondescript, dark, 10 by 10 cube. Jarrell crosses the threshold and they go poof. And the three of you wait, you know, the amount of time it took you to get back up to the third floor. And Jarrell doesn't reappear. Time's wasting. Cyrus walks in. Cyrus walks in. Poof. Finn follows. And... Okay, then he'll go through the three door. Okay. You go poof also. The study that you land in is walled with bookshelves. The center of the room is taken up by a large desk. A tiefling with a very distinctive large set of horns reclines in a chair behind the desk. His feet are propped up and crossed on the desk. He's barefoot. And behind the desk in one of the corners, Morit is actually standing there as well. The tiefling behind the desk stands up and he has very dark bluish skin. His horns curve out from his hairline at an angle. His eyes are not the solid color that you've come to expect from tieflings. He's got a distinctive sclera, the white part of the eye, and like an iris pupil. The sclera is maybe a black dark blue and his eyes are a bright yellow. He's maybe, you would guess, 40-ish, and has a long, loose ponytail draped over one shoulder, and uh, has apparently grown a goatee since the picture that you saw in the newspaper, Jarrell. Well, you look much healthier than in your obituary. And you're using a different name than the one you went by when that obituary was written. I am, and I do suppose you know what that name is. Indigo. Exactly. I sort of apologize for the runaround, but in my experience, I found that it's best to test the metal of the people who come my way. What do you usually use those other doors for? Do you just have five empty rooms in your in your house? Well, I mean, we have the main industry down on the first and second floor, so the third floor is what I use to have fun. Fair enough, I suppose. <laughs> yes. Fun. Sorry, looking around, are there any other entrances to this room? Nope. Other than being teleported into it? Nope. <laughs> there are okay. no doors. There's a bookshelf behind you. Now, if you don't mind, I would like to cut straight to the chase, but I'm in the business of keeping everyone honest, so Rorit, if you would be so kind. And Rorit steps forward, and unlike before, he's got a very plain-looking wooden staff. He taps that, they, sorry, they tap that to the floor. And all of you feel just 
distinctly like you are compelled to tell the truth, as though the study has become a zone of truth. Well, since we're cutting through the chase, not that I am complaining, I did have fun in your house, by the way. We, why did you kill a random blacksmith? Yes, you do seem to have a rather particular way of having fun. And Vim's just glowering at him. I, you know, you're not wrong, Vim. Uh, killing Gregor was the quickest way to make Rowan start making mistakes for once in his life. Oh, wait, no, his entire life is a mistake. He's rather incompetent, isn't he? Oh, goodness. This is a very terrible spell. <laughs> Murdering Gregor was a mistake. You can't just write that off by using it to pin Myrne. How much do you know of Myrne and Rowan's not really relationship? We think they're banging, but we're not sure. Basically, other than that, nothing. <laughs> they are unfortunately not to my knowledge, but it would probably be better for them if they were. You'll see, Merne does not have what one would call forethought when it comes to his schemes and his power grabbing. Rowan, believe it or not, is the one that keeps that dumbass in check. Does he actually think he murdered you, or is that some weird sort of trick? I'm entirely certain that Myrne still thinks he murders me. I don't know about Rowan. Rowan might have gotten on to it by now. How is that even remotely possible? There's evidence of your existence literally all over this town. Oh, because Rowan told Myrne that I am dead, and Myrne trusts Rowan implicitly. I don't trust you implicitly at all. I don't trust Rowan. I was hoping to find a reason to trust you, yet your reason for killing a random blacksmith was to poke fun at Rowan? You know, better than they are. Yes, I agree with Cyrus. I think that all fancy talk is meant to sidestep to distract us from this appalling murder you committed. I would like to point out that I myself never claim to actually be better than Verne. Witherheit might have claimed to be better than Verne, and in fact Witherheit was, but Indigo is not. That seems rather, um, a bit of silly semantics there, but alright. Vim actually at this, she's been bristling, she takes a breath and seems to accept his reasoning here. Alright. So, Indigo is a new man, and Witherheight is no more. Why? Why did I let Witherheight die? Yes. Witherheight had to die because Witherheight was not accomplishing anything. Witherheight did not have power within Mithrin to do what Witherheight needed to do. Indigo does. Indigo does have the power to dispose of Myrne once and for all, and the way for Indigo to do that is to force Myrne into doing something so egregious that Victor Arendelle and Rowan and everyone else cannot ignore it anymore. So did you set up the situation with Liara? I had no hand in that. Myrne does not seem particularly well-guarded, nor are his soldiers, Lieutenant Rowan included, 
nearly as fast as your people. If you can kill a blacksmith, why not just kill Mirne directly? That is a very good question. Arden? You are Arden, correct? Yes, although I'm still invisible, so probably I'm like this voice in the air. (laughs) We're three adventurers and a disembodied voice. (laughs) (laughs) My dear invisible friend, the, the issue with disposing of Mirne directly is that it doesn't solve the vacuum of power problem. Like, where does that go? You kill Mirne, Rowan steps up. You kill Rowan, who steps up after that? Another part of the problem? Who then? Could you perhaps rearrange your system of government so that, you know, maybe the the economic sides of things and the military sides of things are a little less entangled, perhaps? You know, set up a separate bureau or, or something like that that's overseen differently? You know, the kind of thing that doesn't involve killing innocents. No one's really innocent. People kill for all sorts of reasons. I'm just trying to say, it doesn't sound like you've done a lot of work in terms of trying to set up another system of power rather than focusing on who that individual might be. It seems that literally every single merchant in town agrees with him. Arden is correct. I do have a wonderful structure underlying very fabric of Mithrin. It's official in everything but name. Just because you have numbers doesn't make you right. You're nothing but a terrorist. You have killed an innocent person to make a point. Ends justify the means? This is nonsense. They're no better than Rowan. Well, at least he made a point. Not that it really matters in this case, but Gregor was far from an innocent. He turned on us very quickly. So you killed someone simply for disagreeing with you? You know, now that you say it that way, it doesn't sound very good. But at the time, it seems like a great idea. Is there any reason why I shouldn't just take my stick and start hitting you? I am quickly losing patience. Well, I can think of at least one reason. There's no door. I'd rather you didn't do that. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And because I believe one of your party has a debt to pay to me that she unfortunately cannot get out of. Well, that is true. um, That's quite the conversation we need to have. It is. Hmm. Well, wonderful as that may be, there are now at least two people in town that are paying us to gather certain kinds of information. Arden's trying to make the implication as obvious as possible. I would like to get this all resolved as quickly as possible. I know for a fact that Mirne, for the longest time, has been trying very hard to arrest every single faceless he can get his hands on. The problem is, I'm smarter than he is. With the murder of Gregor, I'm sure you heard Mirne's speech. It will be... I hope no longer possible for Rowan, nor Arendelle, nor anyone to keep Mirne from his schemes to eradicate the scourge of the faceless once and for all. Uh, you should also 100% check his tax books the next time you have access to them. Wait, so is your idea to have him just visit more violence on this town? It seems like you're putting quite a lot of people potentially in the position of being collateral damage. I know the people that would be in the collateral damage, and I am prepared to help them at literally any cost. Well, the, you know, one cost would have been just not 
putting them in that position in the first place? I'm going to tell you that the ends justify the means again, but it doesn't. Because all we ever get is the means. That's what we live with while the important people speak about the ends. Well, and 25 gold. Anyway, probably you could end this without so much collateral damage if you have any actual evidence that Myrne off that young priestess. I actually do not know if Merle was the one that offed poor Viara. Uh, the reason that I don't think that it was Merle is that Merle has never struck me as the type of person who is capable of thinking of the long con, as they would say. I totally bet it was Rowan. <laughs> so he's more the type to commit crimes of passion. I guess so much we learned from his case file. He's taken to drink and then make bad choices. Bad choices that are spurned on by a deeply rooted insecurity that he is in fact completely insignificant in the world and will never live up to the greatness of his father who Which. is... Please don't tell us about his daddy issues. <laughs> <laughs> that is fair. I didn't really sign up for any of this. <laughs> I am actually a little bit sorry that you got pulled into all of this. It is not often that actual people invested in the situation show up in Ethren. Are you planning anything that we should watch out for during the festival? Indigo is silent. I'll take that as a yes. So, after like a few minutes of awkward silence, mulling over everything, Indigo says, Does anyone else have questions for me? Where's the door? Uh, the door is where I snap my fingers. But I had a very important question. Vim, do you want your friends to be privy to our conversation that we have to have? Vim looks to each one of them. She makes a guess at where Arden is based off of the last <laughs> time he spoke. And then, why don't you go ahead and let them leave? I... I would prefer the conversation we have is just... As you wish. And he makes sort of a flourish with his hands. And the three of you Be are... <laughs> Jarrell, Arden, and Cyrus are teleported uh, back to the outside of the front door of the Rorit estate. Is it like kind of a Star Trek teleportation where I have like five seconds to do something before I, I vanish? I, uh, I say one last thing and I hawk a loogie. Roll a uh, d20. I rolled an 11. This loogie, as you're disappearing, it goes flying past Indigo's head, which unfortunately you don't actually see as you're teleporting away and lands on the desk next to him. And Indigo, Vim sees, kind of looks down at it, frowns, and then looks back up to Vim. And she says, What'll you have me do? Thank you for listening to this episode of Little Realms. If you like the show and want to stay up to date, make sure to hit that subscribe button wherever you are listening. You can also find us on social media on Twitter at PodRealms and on the web at LittleRealms.com. You can find the GM, me, at Candora underscore Joy. 
Dan, who plays Cyrus Sassafras at Midwestern Wargaming. Nikki, who does boast about amazing art at Nicknack Art. And Sarah, who plays Bim at Sarah underscore Lorraine. And Adam, the ever Arden at The Cultured Tomato, all on Twitter. May your journey be successful and we'll see you next time. The wonderful music you hear on Little Realms is possible due to royalty-free music and content creators such as TabletopAudio.com, Freesounds.org, and Kevin McLeod, creator of Incomputech.com. Royalty-free music licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution License 3.0.